One of the, I have the privilege of, of leaving for the States tonight to go be with, with uh, Chris Wienant and about 80 church planters um, for the next four days, which is really amazing. And then going across to a church in Rochester where they have opened up their doors to meetings and facilities, allowing me to go into their meetings and to learn. It's an ex-South African um, guy leading the church, an uh, old full gospel pastor who's moved to America and has just seen literally thousands come to the Lord, which is amazing. And so that's really exciting. But then one of the places I'm visiting is I'm um, on my way through, um, I'm popping into a church that has multiple different worship services. And each worship service is characterized by their worship style. So you can go to church and receive reggae worship. That's your game. If that's your game, then the nine o'clock service is for you. If you would like jazz, then Hoppers 10 is for you. There is always contemporary. And then for the very late night service, grunge. So really, your options, I mean, church with options, who knew, huh? who knew we could have church with options? I think, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Whatever, as long as we worship Jesus, I don't think Jesus has a preference style. Uh, maybe it is reggae. Who knows? Anything is possible. Can we pray this morning? Jesus, you are amazing. You are worthy to be praised. You're worthy of every breath that we breathe, every beat of blood that pumps through our hearts. It's all for you. It's for your glory, your praise, your honor. And we give you all the glory this morning, God. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping you together in community. Thank you for partnering in a big story called the gospel that, is keep, that keeps, keeps um, revealing your grace and your glory to a broken world, God. For the sake of the world, Lord, burn like a fire in me, I pray. Burn like a fire in us as a community this morning. Burn in every person who calls life changes home, Lord. Burn in every church that meets this morning, I pray. Spirit of God, ignite revival fires in the churches across Cape Town and the, and the nation of South Africa this morning, Lord. That your church would be revived, that the nation would be transformed, I pray. We love you, Jesus. We'll never stop praying big prayers. We'll never stop asking big asks of a great king who is glorious and magnificent this morning. We truly do worship you this morning, King. Amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, we come towards the end of the My Money, My God series. If, if you've just walked into church for the first time, this is the first time you're at Life Changes Church, you've walked into one of those churches. You know those guys? They just talk about money. No, you haven't. You've walked in at the end of a series. It's the third series on finance we've done in 16 years, but we think it's essential for freedom and life that God is wanting to bring into every heart. Our job is not to fill seats. You know that? I don't know if, uh, it seems like a lot of people know what the pastor's job description should be, but one of them that most will put on is like to bring bums into seats, surely. It's not my job. My job is to preach the word of God, that people grow up in maturity. You know why? Because healthy things grow. Healthy churches will grow, and they'll grow with health, and they'll grow strong. They won't grow with deformities. Like we're really strong in this area. We're really good at prayer, but we're really bad at generosity. Or we're really bad at, really good at generosity. We just don't like each other. You know any churches like that? It's like, hey, bro, the Bible says I've got to love you. I don't have to like you. <laughs> don't even have to talk to you. The gospel wants to break in, and the gospel says, I want to come in, and I'm going to demand something of you. The problem in the church is you speak to young people these days, it's like the gospel came and said, don't put anything on me, dude. Don't, don't put anything. No, I'm not putting anything on you. The gospel says Jesus wants to be your Savior. Awesome. He also wants to be your Lord. 
which means he comes in and he guides, governs, and guards the way we live our lives. He guides, governs, and guards what we give our hearts to. He guides, governs, and guards for a reason because he wants us to count into a kingdom story, into a big story, the big story of the gospel that's so much bigger than the here and now only. And by the here and now, I don't mean today morning the England have been knocked out of the rugby cup. I'm talking about these 70 years. They're just the here and now. Let me give you an example. I couldn't find a rope, so I went for wire that got pulled out of my roof. Can you see it? So imagine this is an endless wire. And some of you might have seen this thing. It's Francis Chan did it, and I saw it this week. I thought, I want to share that because I think it's incredibly powerful. This is our life. It's our life. It's, it's a, it just carries on. That's our life. This is our life on earth. The problem is when we forget that there's a life of eternity with the King of Kings that is never ending, that we will spend our lives singing hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to the King of Kings, but we start living for this in our hard attitudes, in the prejudices we hold on to, in the smallness and the brokenness that we decide to hold on to because we feel so justified in it, in our finances. When we live for this, and it's about the cars we drive, it's about the things we give our hearts, it's the people we want to impress, and we forget that there's this story, and the Bible says this story, you can lay up treasures in heaven. We've got to remember that this is 70 years. 15 minutes by Psalms 90. And when we keep this picture in our mind, we'll start making decisions with heaven's agenda in mind. The gospel breaks into our lives and says the Spirit of God comes alive inside of us and wants to ignite a different agenda. Where it takes us out of a world economy which is about buying and selling and all these things and places us into heaven's agenda. Where healing comes back on the table because in here, heaven, there's healing and wholeness. So the church starts contending for healing again. We don't just come under the environment of this world where the church starts contending for whole, healed relationships, not settling for a world of broken relationships. Why? Because that's our time on earth. And every day, every moment we wake up, every decision we make, how we parent our children, how we treat our wives, our spouses, how we invest our finances, our time, our resources, our relationships, how we build them and invest into them, what we're going to fight for in them, we have to make a decision. Is it for that or is it for that? When we can hold this image and we can understand that God breaks into our lives, not to just get us to that point so we can live there, but to live this life in such a way that we can set up a glorious inheritance with Him, a life with Him beyond this 70 years. In this 70 years, we might know pain and we probably will. We might know challenge. And you know what the Bible says? We promise you we will. But when we keep eternity in mind, somehow perspective comes. Somehow the gospel breaks in and is more than just a Sunday activity. See, the issue around money, I've said it a thousand times this series, well, not a thousand, but many. Don't be an exaggerator. A few good times. Maybe 10. The issue around money is not nothing to do with money. The issue with sexuality has got nothing to do with sexuality. It's got to do with this thing called the idol factory, and it's got to freedom that Jesus wants to bring in our idol factories of our hearts that keeps pumping out idols 
every day. And the minute we pull ourselves out from under his presence, the minute we leave his presence, the minute we stop desiring his presence, the idol factory begins to pump. Begins to pump. The gospel demands something of it. It demands more than living for a dream that says, he who dies, boom, with the most toys wins. It's God who demands something more. So small. So short. And the Bible says actually where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What's your treasure? What's, what's your passion? You want to know? Go look at your bank slips. Are you paying everything and, and you're going into debt to give your kids a private education? Well, then your kids are your treasure and they're probably little idols. Just being honest. Jesus wants to come in to every part of our lives and bring order. And when we allow him to bring his order, his peace invades. His grace invades. Heaven invades. And what you start seeing is something of heaven be revealed in earth today. This series is far more than about money. It's about being aligned to heaven's agenda. I'm a little bit passionate. I hope you picked that up. I want freedom. I, I want freedom for myself. I want freedom for us. And um, I, I, Rion and Maria pitched up at our house the other day, Funda Vesa, and they said, you've got to watch this movie. I love movies. I'm like all over it. Let's watch the movie. What is the movie? It's called That Sugar Movie. Now, at first, I was excited until I realized and I read the top line that says, this will change the way you think about healthy food. It's basically a movie how sugar is the enemy. I've had the movie for a week. I haven't watched it yet. You know why? Because there is a passion. There is an idol in my heart called Milo. <laughs> it's an idol. It's green about this big. There's a whole bunch of stuff I could read if I'd like to on the back. I just choose to not read it. And it goes very well with another idol called Rusks. And this information that is probably good for me, that is probably true, that will probably bring freedom in my life, I'm not sure I want because it will affect my idol. So I haven't watched it, I haven't read it, and I don't want to engage it. Why? Because I like this thing too much, my Milo with Rusks. Can I say this? Do we do the same thing with the Word of God? In every area, not just finances, but I, I, maybe you're a generous person, so to read about God the giver, and you love it, you read it, it inspires you to be that guy. But most don't. And the challenge about even doing a finance series in the churches, the churches, and I'm not talking about this church, but the church as a whole, has stopped reading the Bible, has stopped going to the information. Hosea 4 says, without knowledge, my people are destroyed. They're not held back a little bit. They are destroyed. The context is the teachers had stopped teaching. In the area of finances, the teachers have stopped teaching truth. And you've got two half-truths that prevail. The prosperity gospel, and the preacher gets excited, and the more you give to God, he will give to you. And if you give to me, I will give to you. And somehow we end up that we're paying some dude for healing. And it is wrong. It is nowhere in the Bible. And if we decided to get into the word, we would realize that the cultural conditionings that have been lies for generation from generation, from the forefathers of the church back to the Catholic church and indulgences, 
that that root has remained because the heart of man is evil. But if we allow the truth of God to invade, he will bring truth. He will bring life back in. He will bring order. And the problem with the prosperity gospel, it's a half truth. There is truth to it. The Bible does say in Galatians 6, sow and you will reap. It does say that. That is the truth of the gospel. God was not a liar. He will not be mocked. Actually sow and you will reap. There's a promise. But if we hang everything on that, and we say that's the whole truth, and we're going to work that thing and wind the church up to give, because when we wind the church up to give, God will bless, and we'll get the bumper, best, bumper sticker, too blessed, too stressed, hashtag. It's a half truth. We've got to get back to the full truth in Jesus. On the other side, there's this ascetic gospel about the less I have, the more I can have of him. Take everything of the world. Give me nothing. I want nothing. Give me manna from heaven. I don't know where you can buy manna these days, but I'm sure it's pretty slim pickings. I just want what they had in the desert. The problem is we don't live in the desert anymore. He took us out of the desert into the promised land, into an inheritance. He wants to take you into an inheritance. And again, there is a half-truth of simplify your life. That's the gospel. Get rid of the unnecessary stuff. Let your treasures. So we hold on to the truth that is Jesus, and we find a way forward. I really, as I've given myself to preparing for the series, I've understood there's only one way to guide, govern, and guard my finances. It's not to read the men's health. It's not to get into Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. It's none of this. It's to come before the one I'm called to gaze upon, be captivated by, find myself in his presence, and he guides, governs, and guards my finances. The same way, that same place, he guides, governs, and guards my sexuality. That same way, he guides, governs, and guards my thought life. And we, we keep looking for the one or two principles, just two steps in the McDonald's generation. It's just one, two, and we got it. No, there's a journey with Jesus to freedom. And I'm going to carry on in a second, but I want to take a minute just to honor a hero of mine. I know this seems weird, but I, st- I get to stand before you guys every week, not every week, many weeks, get to share my heart, and, 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 and people often go, that was amazing in that, but actually, um, this is my mom, and uh, I grew up in a home where my mother prayed for me every day. Moms, you want to know what you're doing for the kingdom of God? Pray for your kids. Every day, I'd wake up, if I woke up early, every day my mother was up reading the Bible. Every day. Every day. I don't know how many times we read through the Bible, Mom. 25 times? At least. We went through a liquidation. We lost everything. To be honest, I was irritated with her. Because she never got down, not once. I never saw her attack my father, not once. And when the sheriff was coming and we knew he was coming, my heart that was broken and full of all sorts said, let's hide stuff. Send it to our mates, hide cars, hide things. I was 19 years old and it felt like the world was being pulled away. And someone who'd been in the presence of God for year after year, read the Bible for year after year, said, no, trust God. Trust God. And um, this lady is not just my mother. She's my hero. 
She's taught me to love the Word of God. She's taught me to sow. She's taught me to hold on to God who trusts. Three weeks ago, she lost her best friend to an illness. And I've just seen her hold on to God. And I want to tell you, if you want to count for the kingdom story, it's not about preaching. Live a life that glorifies God, and I promise you, you will sow and you will reap. You will reap far more than you ever sow. Is that all right? Love you. And, um, but this morning, after all of that, is everyone okay? I feel like it's already been a big morning. <laughs> we probably all just need to go home now. <laughs> just think about it. But I want to I speak this morning about why give to the cause of Christ. Why give to the cause of Christ? Can we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, please? You see, I, 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 we've done five weeks of this series before I've spoken about anything about giving to church. But the problem is the Bible speaks about giving to the mission of God. And I want to present it like this this morning. Give to the mission. Start with the church, but don't end there. Don't stop there. Give to the mission. Start with the church, but don't end there. 2 Corinthians 8. I'm just going to read the first part of it, and then I'll explain it. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the saints." And they did not do as we expected, but they, ga- they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, You were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to, to do it may be met by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to one, what one does not have. <laughs> what does life changers believe about the Bible? I don't know what, about Money. What does the Bible say? Paul, the apostle, is writing and he's appealing to the Corinthian church on behalf of the Jerusalem church. And he's using the example of the Macedonian church. Everyone with me? It's important. And he's appealing to the Corinthian church. He's saying, you guys at the start were so good. You were so excited. You excelled in faith. You excelled in all these things. I'm calling to excel in the grace. What is grace? Given by God. The grace of giving. 
says, and he points them to the Macedonian church, says, they gave, see what's happened in Jerusalem 20 years before, that church was the pioneer church. They planted churches. They released pastors and evangelists like Wally to go and minister in many contexts. They had a big story, but they were financed by a bunch of farmers. And tough times had come. And because of that, the church was under pressure. They, they had to stop releasing ministries. They had to stop going on mission. They had to cut back. Many commentators say they became under pressure. They, they were struggling to feed the poor in the midst, which are mandates of the church to assist and to facilitate life. So he's calling on the Corinthian church. He's saying, why don't you get back to where you started, which was an eagerness and a zealousness. And he points them to the Macedonian church. And he says, those guys, even in severe trial, in severe trial, they gave according to their ability and they gave beyond. It's quite a radical thing. There is this call and he's not saying, hey guys, they're really nice guys in Jerusalem. They're really good to me. When I go there, they put me in three five-star hotels and they, they get me a really snazzy donkey. He's not saying, he's saying, actually, for the cause of Christ, for the mission of God, that church is continued and continues to be called to be a powerful vehicle for the advancing of the kingdom of God. We need to sow beyond ourselves, beyond what implicates us, beyond where we benefit. Maybe they'll never even know that you gave. Who cares? The kingdom is advancing. Why? Because of a story that's much bigger than our story. Not because a pastor is impassioned. Not because a pastor can cajole you enough and get you excited enough to give. That's not good enough. And we're going to speak about that kind of giving. So I want to take from this scripture because I want to call us, we are called to the mission of God. We're called to a big story. It's bigger than the local church. But God calls us and he gives us mandates. He says, what are we going to do? We're going to come together in teams called the local church. In those teams, we're going to impact and change the world. And teams are going to align and they're going to support each other. So God does give us a mandate. And I'm going to jump back to some of the things I mentioned last week. The first thing, reasons why we give. And I'm going to specifically speak. Last week I spoke about reasons why we give. This week I'm going to speak about reasons why we give to the mission of God in and through the local church. And if you're a little bit grumpy with me this morning, I promise you I'm 100% okay with that. Honestly. My wife is here. We, we got together 21 years old. We've tithed every month and we've given to the church and beyond every month since then. I know the freedom it brings in here. Could I have driven fancier cars? I don't know, maybe. I pretty much know that I wouldn't have the peace in here if I hadn't have walked with God and trusted him in the story. And I want that for you. I don't want condemnation. Don't leave here this morning going, Mark, I'm feeling condemned. You put that on me. No, no, no. But the Spirit of God brings conviction. And the conviction can lead us to respond in repentance, which is change our thinking and walk in the freedom that God has for us. That's what I want for you. Give because you've been given grace. And I'm not going to spend hours here because we speak about grace all the time. But 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor and his poverty, so that through his poverty you might become rich. When we give, we give for one reason and one reason alone. It's not the shouting, screaming pastor. It's not pay the man of the hour. And can I just say, it's a big thing here, that thing. I know some of you have been in churches where that's a big thing. 
And maybe even me speaking about that confronts me. I've had people, we, I, I prayed for a man just with the team of guys who got healed. And it's his culture and his way to then bring a gift to the guy who prays for them. And so he pitched up Joe during the week and he slips me an envelope. I said, what's that, bud? And in no way am I trying to insult cultural norms or cultural sins. I'm telling you, our highest culture is the kingdom of culture. I am not the one who heals you. I am not the one who brings you freedom. I'm none of those guys. Together we seek Jesus. Together we pioneer and advance the kingdom of God. And no man is deserving of any higher honor. Only Jesus. The problem is, what this scripture is dealing with, when we don't do it out of grace, and, we, and it's not, I'm, I'm generous to my wife because she knows there's a grace that's given. It's like the home where, where many marriages end up, where there's, there's empty motions between husbands and wife. Then their kids who grow up for year and year and year because the father had to do stuff because he was the dad, rather than because he was the father. It's a difference. Give because of grace. That's the point. Give as an overflow of worship, and I'm not going to spend hours here, but Jesus warns about the church who, who give, but it's not because of worship. They give because they want to be seen. They give because they want to make a statement. You want to know what Jesus warns against? That. Matthew 15, verse 8, They honor me with their tithes, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me, but they still give their money. And yes, do there seem to be church movements that would be okay with it? I'm being honest. I think there are. I'm just being honest, guys. I love the church way too much to not speak against some of the brokenness within our own church. The church. But they honor me with their tithes. He wants your heart. Give because he's got your heart. Give because you are so captivated by the glory of God, not the wonder of the church and how nice the preacher is and how well he did on Sunday. Oh, I'm going to give a little bit more. Mark was really good on Sunday. He must have worked hard last week. But the week before, oh, I don't know what he did. Jesus speaks again, and, and I'm going to mention that scripture later, Matthew 23. Give because it's an aspect and a vital aspect of following Christ. You want to follow Jesus? Tax collector, leave your wealth, come and follow me. Rich young ruler, you want to follow me? Yeah, come. Don't give 10%, give it all away. I didn't say it, it's in the Bible. You want to follow Jesus, there's an aspect of giving your wealth away and being a giver. Why? Because he's a giver. And we are signposts pointing to the giver, the generous king. Give. He says, excel. He says, you excel in everything. Faith, knowledge, Oof, so clever. Excel also in the grace of giving. Excel in it. I, I, I had the privilege of, of being a part of this amazing couple's marriage. Congratulations, guys. Mark and Andrew Hughes last week. Let's clap for them. And I spoke about the generosity of God. Because when... When a couple stands before a great, generous father, they are going to receive the abundance and the gift of a generous father. And he's going to keep pouring out over their lives. Anyway, give because God has given you extra. And he has, he has two minutes on a big subject. Andy Stanley calls the consumption assumption. I know it rhymes. It's very cool. Consumption assumption. What is the assumption? The assumption is everything I'm given by God. Surely God wants me to consume. 
So when we sit down and we plan our budget and we say, can we drive that car? We go and sit before the bank manager says, put your budget, and we work it to the max. We're going to feed the kids that one less bottle a day. We're going to give Daniel one less nappy a day so we can get into the car, and we're in. And the assumption is I'm called to consume everything God has given me because he has blessed me, and I am hashtag blessed. It's a wrong assumption. Why is it a wrong assumption? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The Bible says there's seed and there's bread. The problem is we see it all in one pay slip if you earn a, 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 a salary. Boom, food. The Bible says no, no, seed and food. Food for consumption. Food to keep you healthy. Food to keep you moving forward. To keep the lights on. Food to keep your car rolling. Food. But what is seed? When last did you think of your finances in context of seed? To be sown for kingdom and righteousness. Now maybe you sit here, Mark, I have no space. And I'm very aware. I'm the pastor of a church where we had a prayer meeting and we called those who want breakthrough in their finances come forward. And two-thirds of the people came forward. And into that context, we preach the gospel. Why? Because the Macedonian church, out of their trial and their severe trial, they sowed and they saw the favor and the blessing of God. I want the favor and the blessing of God. I cannot operate by world economics, which is buy and sell, buy and sell. We can only operate by kingdom agendas, which is give and receive. I did nothing to receive salvation. Nothing. I just received it because God is good. Give because you got extra. Identify seed in your life. This last, this last week, I was given $3. I haven't even had a chance to say thank you to that person. $3 of seed money. I'm not going to consume that. That's going to some guy sitting in America plowing away for the gospel. Seed money. Do you have seed money in your budget? Give because your money can and will save lives. And, and I could give you a thousand scriptures, but let me just ask you this. Who paid for the chair you're sitting on? Who paid for this building? I, I didn't. I wasn't here. I paid for a building in Durban. But who paid for these projectors? Who, 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 who paid for the toilets we get to sit on? People who believe that their financial story was bigger than this little yellow strip. People who believed in the mission of God. People who believed that when we, we worship Jesus and we allow him into our hearts, the kingdom of God will come. And they had faith that one day you would sit here and you would start counting for the kingdom of God. And we partake in a team story that's far bigger than ourselves because the captain is the king of kings. I am passionate and I will not apologize for my passion, but I don't want you to respond to my passion. I want you to respond to the truth that God is calling us to partner in a big story. Respond to him. And so there is a biblical model, but I want to tell you up front, give everywhere, spirit-led, faithful, miracle-expecting giving. That's a principle. That's Jesus. So here's the thing. Why are we not given equal? Why? Uh, it, uh, uh, there was a Sandlam sign as I drove out the airport yesterday. It's not about what you have, it's about what you do with it. Who knew Sandlam knew the gospel? Honestly, that's the gospel. Gospel's not about how much you have, it's about what you do with it. It's your stewardship story in every area, not just finances. What are you doing with your opportunities? What are you doing? 
See, some are given much and some are given less, even here. In this room, some are earning 2,500 rand a month, scraping through, working really hard to serve and, 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 and doing lots of things. In this room, some are earning maybe 60,000 rand a month. And you can go, how, God? That's inequality. And I'm telling you the reason is because we are called to make sure that within the church there is a flow of finances that resembles heaven and not earth. I'm convinced of it. This is not about law. Tithing or giving or whatever word you want to put to it is not about law. It's about worship. You see, we don't put laws on worship. It's like, you need to pray. Oh, don't put that on me. You, you need to worship. Don't put that on me. You need to give. See, when we give, we're part of an advancing story. There's got to be faith. Ways to give. And I want to call you to two things, and I'm going to leave out a little bit. I want to call you to give to a story, and if this church is not that story, then get part of a local church that is that story, but has two things. One, mission, and two, accountability. Honestly, personally, I get grieved when I hear of, we're going to take up a massive offering because the first lady of the church needs a new Mercedes. Honestly, I get grieved. I love the church of God. Too much to abuse her people. I get grieved. I don't celebrate it, but I get grieved. Give because there's mission. If you don't see a desire to see people getting saved here, don't give here. If you don't see a desire to do more for the kingdom of God and be more, and don't give here. If you don't see a leadership who are wanting to sow beyond the borders of this church, don't give here. But if you do, give. And be part of a story that counts for the kingdom of God. The second thing is accountability. And I've said it before, we've needed to redo our income statement so that we can report on how we give. That's taken some time. The reason we've done that is we want to report on how the money gets spent to you. It's not my money. It's his money. But I can promise you that there's four or currently three church leaders outside of the story who I consider fathers and I would listen to them who know the finances of this church. There are two business people within this church story who know the church finances and I speak openly with them about decisions and how we spend. There are seven eldership team couples who are aware of the story of the finances and see the details of finances. Why? Because we believe in accountability and there's nothing to hide. And if you're struggling with that and you want to know our financial story, come and talk to me. Honestly, don't sit back and go, oh, the church and this, and you don't and you never partake in a big story. So missional, accountable, and there is a New Testament standard. But the question it's not about, is the tithe 10%? Is it this? And I live under the smallness. Those questions are too small. See, there has been much abuse in this area, guys. I was intimidated preparing for this series. Because there's been a lot of abuse in the church for centuries. Malcolm spoke about indulgences. Priests, come and buy your indulgence and your loved one will get healed. What a load of rubbish! Honestly! And I understand some might come from cultural context where that has been preached and it was contextually normal. I am telling you, it is not biblically normal. It is biblically abnormal and it will lead to abnormalities. It will lead to deformity and it will not lead to life. I want to lead you to life that is Jesus and Jesus alone. So, 
See the, yeah, let me jump a little bit ahead. So here's the one big, it's the classic statement. If you go on Google and you punch in tithing, this is the one you'll get. So if, if you want to type in tithing on Google, if you want to type in sick Christian sexuality on Google, you're going to get some pretty interesting stuff as well, I'm just saying. <laughs> Promise you, don't do it. <laughs> I did a series on sex. I had to do it. But here's the big question that always gets thrown at me, and it's getting more and more traction and more and more popular as people are getting more and more obsessed with the yellow part of the rope. And the idol factories are finding more and more traction. I am no longer under the law of Moses. So tithing is no longer law. I am under the love of Jesus. Yes, 100% true, my buddy. Not even a question. Let's go with that. But let's understand that in Genesis 14, slide number 12, please, this is what said. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to the God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave a tenth of everything. There was no precedent of giving. There was no law of giving. This was 400 years before the law of tithing came in. And we'll explain law now. But 400 years before, there's a precedent set. Hebrews tells us Melchizedek was a man pointing to Christ. Before the law, before mandates, before man put anything in place, God's man responds and he gives 10% to who? The priest for the work of the thing. Then we see the giving and God puts a law in place because he has the Levites who need to teach, who need to explain, who need to take people on the journeys and they were not allowed to work. Their job as a tribe was purely to facilitate the life of God in the midst, to look after the temple of God. But you know what, if, if, if we get caught up in that stuff, I want to tell you, if you need to understand tithing in this place, read the Old Testament. Just get in there. It's pretty clear in the Old Testament. Everyone gets confused about the New Testament, so I want to talk about the New Testament. So tithing was a law by the end of the Old Testament. And you know what the law did? The law came into people's lives who didn't have the Spirit of God like you and I do to convict and lead us. The law came into people's lives where chaos abounded. The law came where there had no been no Jesus Savior breaking into the story, bringing the offering of heaven on earth now. That's why the law was given, to walk people in God's ways that were so different to their ways. So all the law was actually to ultimately allow us to see Jesus in greater light because he's far greater than the law. But let's talk about the New Testament. Is everyone okay? <laughs> so Jesus doesn't say a whole lot. Actually, he mentions tithing twice. The first one, he's dealing it with in a case of legalistic issues, actually both of them. He says in Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, a tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the, matter, the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's saying, actually, you should have done those things. You should have tithed. But don't do it by neglecting faithfulness. It's like, and there's too much of that in the church. I give so actually I can be as ruthless as I want to Monday to Saturday. I give to the church so I can pay my people as little as possible Monday to Friday. I give at the church, so whether I'm generous to my wife doesn't really matter in the bigger scheme of things because God wants my tithe. Let me tell you, God doesn't need your tithe. You need to give it. 
God wants nothing from you. He wants something for you. And his church wants nothing from you. They want something for you. And the greatest thing I can want for you is freedom in here. It's the greatest thing I want for this broken heart. It's the greatest thing. He says something in Luke 18, verse 9 to 14, very similar, so I'm not going to read it. But let me summarize Jesus' statements on tithing. He says it's not a spiritual cure-all. You, you want everything to grow? It's like, hey, I, I, I've seen people. Things start going a little wobbly. Oh, I'm going to start tithing because tithers tell testimonies. I heard the pastor say that. I'm going to start tithing then. It's not the spiritual cure-all. He also doesn't say, sow in finances and you're going to reap millions. He says, sow in finances, you will reap righteousness. You will reap peace. You will reap Jesus. And you might just reap finances. That's his job. That's his decision, not mine and not yours. He says, he, he, he doesn't reject it. He affirms it. He says, actually, don't stop doing that. Just don't do it with a frot heart. Frot meaning <laughs> a smelly, ugly, broken, stinky heart. And Jesus wasn't seeking what was theirs. He was wanting to give them what was his. But he needed the heart. You know what the gates, you know the Psalms? Open up the gates so the king of glory can come in. The gates are not the front gates of your house. The gates are not the front door to your house. The gates are these things that cover our heart, that look like brokenness. For Paul, the apostle Paul, have you got five more minutes? We said we intentionally had shorter worship so that I could just put some time into this because honestly, this is very important. Jesus highlights two major things and he speaks about them ongoingly, sex and money. And he often speaks about them next to each other because they're two things that get this easily. The apostle Paul said four things. First scripture, on the first day, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, on the first day of the week, each of you should put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Paul doesn't talk about tithing either. But he says you should put something aside so that you can give it. And the context is bringing it and giving it to the local storehouse. The second thing he says is 2 Corinthians 8 verse 3, they gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord, not by some preacher cajoling them. We have never taken up an offering after we've spoken about finances, ever. And we never will. And I'll say it again, if you feel condemned, if you feel controlled, please don't give. But I know you're meant to give, so give somewhere. The third thing is 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what a cheerful giver is? The guy who sits down his EFT, he hasn't set it to just go off. It's like, ah, oh, God, take it, so just take it before I can stop you taking it. Every month I sit down, I punch in numbers. I say, I want that to go to the mission of God. And this scripture says, actually sit there going, ha, 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 entire. Hey, hey, hey. Now, do I do that every time? No, because my heart has just as much brokenness as yours. And sometimes I'm a little bit like, <laughs> not this month, Jesus, next month. Come back. But it says, God loves a cheerful giver. I'm so grateful to be a part of a big story of the kingdom of God. And yes, could I maybe buy a new 30, 40, 60-inch TV, whatever, with this? Sure, but who gives a hoot? Hey! <laughs> because I'm called to a big story that's bigger than my broken little story. And so are you. 
2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough in everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. The consumption assumption flies directly in the face of what the Apostle Paul taught. When everything I'm given is for me and I'm at the center of it all, Paul says, you're given because God's gracious and he's given you in abundance. So here's the right question. Not how much do I give? And I'm going to position tithing for you and how we believe in it. That's the wrong question. Here's the right question. How do I be like you? Oh, to be like you. To give all I have just to know you. Thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son. You want to be a Christian? You want your life to count beyond just the yellow tape at the end of a long white rope? Our Father is a giver. That's it. How can I be like you? And one way he shows us in his word is called giving to the local church, giving to the temple. See, in the Old Testament, I want to tell you why New Testament giving is far greater than the Old Testament. They gave to the maintenance of the temple. They gave to a freedom that they'd fought from physical security. The enemy were, they had brought physical freedom in their life. You know what we get in the New Testament? We get to be a part of an advancing kingdom story and to give to that. We get to be freedom in every part of our lives. We have received so much more than prior to Jesus breaking in to history and changing everything. So I want to be like him. So the short question, do you believe in tithing, Mark? I do. I've done it for 15 years. But as a helpful guideline, a guideline to seeing the mission of God advance and keeping my idol factory under control, not, not as a law for God to love or bless me more. Tithing is a helpful guideline that's been there in the past. And actually, I believe in the New Testament, I'm called to live beyond that. So he speaks in 2 Corinthians, the Paul says, live beyond that. Give about of your, what you don't have. Give in that, and you will see the favor and the fruitfulness of the kingdom of God in your story. So some practicals, because the Bible says, teach God's people. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be full to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Give at the beginning of your month. Honestly, the Bible says, give him the first fruits. Just give it to him. Is that hard? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes does it take me another 48 hours to push the button? Sometimes. And sometimes there are really good reasons why. But you see, and there's this challenge of, oh, I don't give to the church. I don't give to, I give, I give to people. I'm just really generous. Well, two things. When I've actually sat down with those people who I've been discipled, I've said, do you want me to disciple you? Yes, but I don't believe in time. That's fine. How much do you give? No, you said you want me to disciple you. You want me to grow you up. Let's grow up. And actually you give way less. So let's understand. And when you give, you're at the center of that story. I'm the generous guy. Oh, here's everything for you. Who gets the glory? Well, you got it in your, white in your yellow tape. I want to live for the white tape, guys. So much longer. Prayerfully consider how to give, when you give, the attitude you give. And I'm not even going to answer things like, is it, Mark, is it pre or post-tax? If you want to come find us, come talk to me. But, but actually, it's here. That's the issue. 
that I'm going at. We're not doing this to raise finance of the church. I've already told you. We're able to cover salaries. We're able to advance. We're giving a whole bunch of furniture to a church in Blue Downs. We're sending Wally on missions. And he's in, in a church called The Rock this weekend. And I spoke to the leader. I said, thank you so much for sending Wally. And you know what? They didn't pay for him to go there. We're paying. Because we believe in a story that's bigger than us. Start now. You'll never have the right conditions. <laughs> You'll never. And it says, anything done without faith is sin anyway. Even tithing. You can give 100% of your income if it's not done with faith. So give with faith. Give with understanding that there's a big story. And understand this, faith overrides our circumstances. Oh, Jesus, the ship's going to sink. He says, walk on the water. Peter walks on water. He didn't turn it into soil. He still walked on water. Bring in order that your finances so that you can become generous. Do it so that you become generous. Give consistently and sacrificially at times. He says, out of the extreme child, they gave as much as they're able. I didn't write the book of Corinthians, guys. I didn't write it. And sometimes I don't like reading it either because the selfish little thing that pumps in this heart wants to kick in. But I want freedom. Give willingly. God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want your bucks. He wants your heart. So here's three things I'd love to call us to as, a, as we come to the end of the series. We might do one or two interviews into the future just to give people. One of them is, is, is the, this is not a cajoling of a preacher. If you, honestly, if that's where you think it's at, don't give. But give somewhere to someone that counts beyond yourself where you don't get the glory. That's all I'd ask. But if this is your story and this is your home and you do get fed here spiritually, get stuck in and let's play team because teams change the world. I would ask for radical faith. A financial story requires radical faith. Oh, Mark, how do I give? I don't know, but start and allow, deal with the assumption, the consumption assumption and allow the order of God to break into your life and watch the miracles begin to happen. How do I know? Because he did it with me. When my parents lost everything, a brokenness crept into this idol factory and said, you're going to be successful and you're going to make money and that's what you're going to give your life to. And it changed because Jesus loves. Because Jesus doesn't care about my brokenness, this little broken heart. He wants to bring his glory inside this broken heart and bring freedom. Radical faith. Luke 18 verse 8, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find Bucks? Will he find big houses? Snazzy cars. Will he find faith on the earth? Radical faith, radical simplification. Simplify. It's a simple concept. Food and clothes. What, what, what are the necessities? Have, when last did you ask the question, not do I want it, but the question, do I need it? And if I don't need it, who does? Honestly, and keep this between us, very good friends of ours. I'm on Facebook the other day. They earn literally between the two of them huge amounts of money. Huge. And I'm on Facebook and they're selling their cot for a few hundred bucks. I've just got to be honest. Something inside of me goes, ah, oh, Jesus, if the wealthy could just get it and give the flipping thing away. And the kingdom of God gets advanced by a cot being given to a young family who cannot afford one. And they're putting their children on the floor. 
Sorry, I get excited. I love those people. And I saw this two days ago, I still, but I'm going to phone them and I'm going to say, bud, I walked with you, I discipled you. I'm telling you, that's not a great representation of the Father. I'm telling you. When the church gets that stuff, we begin to live in freedom. Radical simplification and radical obedience. And Gabe preached it many times here. You want a radical inheritance? You want to count for the kingdom of God? Obey. Can I pray for us? I trust. I, I, I trust you can see through it all. And I trust you feel loved today. We preach this series as an eldership I've taken up the mandate to, to preach most of it because I love you, I want freedom, and I want the kingdom story for your life. And heaven's economy is different to this world. Lord, I thank you for David, the man of your own heart, who was a very, very wealthy man. And at that time of his life, he wrote, everything comes from you, and we have been given only what comes from your hand. He understood, we just stewards. He understood your kingdom. He understood that it's bigger than our story. I ask for freedom in this room right now. Right now. My eyes are closed. I ask for every eye to be closed right now. But if you know that there's areas of your own heart, and trust me, I'm putting my hand on my heart. But if you know there's areas of freedom that you need to come into your idol factory, place your hand on your heart right now. Jesus, you came for freedom. You died a death I could not die so that I could live free, not so that money could come back in and put those chains back around. My heart, my life, my story. I ask, would you bring your order and would you be Lord in my heart and every one of our hearts where our hands are laid on our hearts today? Be Lord, be King, be Ruler, we want to live for you. We want to give you all the glory. This church wants to give you glory. It's not about filling bums and seats and having the biggest church in Cape Town. It's about being healthy and revealing that health and that life. That our story would end like this. I knew the Father all the days of my life, and I will walk with him for eternity. We thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We give you all the glory today. Spirit of God, continue to work. Give courage for the story. Some need to make adjustments. Give courage. Some need to do things that, that don't make sense of their head, but faith doesn't always make sense. Some need to give to the poor, their neighbors who are under pressure this week. Some need to take food out of their own fridge today and just give it away so that the kingdom of God come. I pray, give courage for that story today. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the glory. Amen.